0: Welcome inside the Legends Legends Lounge, Lounge.
1: where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. Good one today inside the lounge. The first time he's quite successful, but also... I don't remember. I don't think I interviewed CJ Wilson during his playing days. I think I just missed that. And even when I was just early on at MLB Network, just didn't do an interview with him. But Alana, you knew him and you were like, it's going to be interesting and CJ can talk and he's basically broadcaster material i would say
2: not only broadcasting material scott braun but uh, a very interesting approach to when we asked him if he would be interested in being a part of the new angels ownership group the man has ideas and plenty of them take a listen
1: Okay, so we often do a segment on this show called Where Are They Now? And this is how good our team is behind the scenes. So recently, we did a Where Are They Now story on C.J. Wilson. I'm like, wow, that's dope. Got to have him on. He's a former two-time All-Star, 11-year big leaguer, but owns a sports car team, car dealerships, hosts podcasts about some very unique topics deep in the crypto world. And now he's inside the lounge to discuss it all. CJ, how's life? It sounds exciting. I
0: mean, it's pretty cool, you know, like I get to come to work. I I got some some fun stuff that I sell on a daily basis. I'm dealing with uh, Porsche, Audi and BMW. Those are the three brands that I'm a car dealer for um they're all good you know uh the cars are fun to drive the people that drive them are very excited about them and um you know i live like two miles away from the office so to speak and so i get to see uh the family all the time um i'm never in traffic which is really (laughs) an um from living in southern california my whole life uh or texas for a little bit um you know having commute times from like 30 to 30 minutes to like an hour and a half depending on where i lived relative to the stadium um my commute now is like one song um that's kind of how i qualify it so maybe a song and a half um but i'm really living like a regular life in a lot of ways in the sense that you know i drop the kids off at school i um uh just come to work and that's it and uh i just happen to have a fun job that i this was sort of like the master plan always was to end up in the car world and so, um, yeah, after retiring, I bought the car dealerships up here. I had some other car dealerships around the country. I sold all of those eventually and just kind of focused here in Fresno and it's cool. I mean, well, it's hot, but, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice being in California. I can still go down to LA or the Bay area if I want to meet my friends or anything like that, take the kids to Disneyland. Um, I still haven't seen Otani play in real life. And that's like the one thing that's kind of on my bucket list back to the baseball thing. Um, but, uh, you know, getting to watch him play, uh, on TV is great. And so I'm still very attached to the game. I watched as many games as I can on TV. Still fascinated by, you know, everything that has to do with baseball, but my, my job is pretty much, um, you know, just trying to make money selling cars and just not the hardest thing in the world to do right now.
2: All right. So that makes me question in your opinion, CJ, mm-hmm. who's the MVP? Is it Otani or is it Aaron judge?
0: I think you've got to give it to judge in the sense that he's having a bigger impact for a, you know, a winning team.
2: That's what um, I said.
0: Yeah. The, the, that being said, like, if you put Otani on any team, he would be the best player on any team, you know, like counting the whole thing. So I was a two way player in college, right? I, I played center field. I played right field. I, I, I pitched, I would like close on weekday games <laughs> and start on Friday or Saturday or whatever. And, um, so I think like in a weird way, uh players like me or Dan Heron, who was a contemporary of mine, um, we really liked hitting and um we were good hitters, we had hit for power and stuff like that. But watching show Tani do it with a hundred mile an hour fastball and a 480-foot <laughs> home run, it's like it's bonkers because it's almost like he's playing with a metal bat and a wiffle ball against like children sometimes. <laughs> like watching him throw a hundred and there was like somebody put this meme up the other day. Um uh, like pitching ninja. I love pitching ninja. So uh, on Twitter, and it was like uh, the guy from the Yankees threw him like a hundred mile hour sinker. And he like backs out of the plate. He's like, like,
2: <laughs> I'm going to
0: try that. I'm going to do that. And the last night he's like, like, you know, a hundred mile hour sinker. Um, because someone was like, Hey, do you throw a two seamer? He's like, no, no sinkers just all fastball for four seamers, you know? So it's, it's cool to see him. And it's cool to see finally, like finally, People are respecting the athletic ability of a player enough to let him move around because realistically coaches, especially one of my coaches, Mike Socha was so anti pitchers that it was like, Oh, if you have to bunt like in the batting cage, you have to wear like a full like hockey gear and everything because you're such an, unathletic athletic person that you can't you're gonna fall over and hit your face or something. Granted there are pitchers that are really unathletic like that, but there's a lot of guys over the years, whether it's Granky or somebody else, um, that are just baseball players and they just happen to pitch as a main job because they're extremely good at it. But Shohei, I think, could potentially give a lot of kids inspiration to say, hey, I'm a hitter. I like pitching. There's no reason why I can't do both. And at the end of the day, you have a fixed set of people on the roster. You should try to get the most out of each player. And um I don't know. I think it's fascinating. Um, I think it's great. And I'm I'm really happy for Angels fans that get to see him play. Um, and really happy that he came back from
2: injury. All right, let me ask you this, and then I'll let Scott uh, jump back in here. Is Shohei Otani, if you take the top level of your three cars that you're dealing with right now, Porsche, Audi, BMW. Hmm. Shohei Otani, top tier of of those models, is he a Porsche, an Audi or a BMW?
0: Hmm. Uh, I'd say he's a Porsche because, you know, the one thing that's unique is he he doesn't play the field, right? And granted he pitches, but he doesn't like play right field on a regular basis, right? So his defensive exploits are sort of limited to his pitching exploits, which is fine. I mean, he obviously can go fill in in the outfield or whatever, but it's not like Trout, like peak Mike Trout playing center field, right? In the same sense that when I'm selling somebody an Audi, I'm expecting them to drive it every day, right? So an Audi would be like a middle infielder, or like a catcher or something like that. Like a, more of a 15,000 miles a year kind of thing, <laughs> right? Um, might take a couple of rock chips, might pop a tire every once in a while, but like you're kind of like the main transport core. Um, the a Porsche. Daily, is like, your,
2: your daily driver, if you will, CJ. You need
0: that. Yeah, exactly. So was, was Shohei is more like a GT3 RS. He's somewhat exotic, special <laughs> occasions. You know, he's got some extra stuff on him that other cars don't come with. Um, that's kind of the way I look at it. A little more power, a little more noise um but like appreciable really like this thing behind me you know it's like one of these things he's one of these things right okay he's not he's not a tank you know he's um he you have to pr- protect him a little bit right so i would say that he's probably more a like porsche. the exotic gt3 gt3 rs porsche um also the most valuable from a cost standpoint you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, 87, octane. no 87 octane no 87 octane what's a gt3 custom running um ish uh 225 230 something like that you know we had we have one in the showroom right now i think that was 226 um that's but that's like custom paint custom interior you know all that stuff but it's also the top line car that they make in that in that regard sorry lana
2: yeah it's a little over my my pay grade there but pretty to look at for sure The
0: the key is right you can get like you can always if you can't afford the real one, you can always get <laughs> a miniature one. Oh, that yeah. would just
2: make me more sad.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you can be part of the thing. We even off like they actually just sent me this. This is not not a joke. Uh, I just got this. It's a Porsche for Kids coloring book. So they sent like Porsche crayons. Of course they charge like $34 for this. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's fun. I mean, the the one thing I would say about being in this industry, it's very like easy to cross over from baseball into the, the this type of car dealership, because you're dealing with like the same kind of people. My customers are the sort of the, the local leaders and the doctors and the people like that. So I got very acclimated with talking to doctors during my baseball career. I Uh, wanted to
2: ask you, is it the adrenaline? Is this like your adrenaline junkie? Like, is, is there any way CJ that it compares to the adrenaline you had on the mound in a big moment? Like when you get to drive one of these exotics,
0: So I get excited about stuff. um, But I would say that the on field action is really hard to replace with a regular job, realistically, Um, as part of my other duties or my other jobs that I've done over the years. um, You know, because it's been like, it's, it's funny for me to think of it, but I haven't played baseball in six years. So it's really sometimes sort of weird for me to think that I'm so far out of the game in that regard, because that's like, i still feel youthful um i still work out i'm still in shape but like if i'm racing something like this then that's 100 percent adrenaline it's crazy it's a whole experience it's really loud you know that's that's friday night yankee stadium or sunday night baseball or something like that right that's what that is uh my job is lots of lots of this now right it's lots of paperwork um it's like having a fancy pen it's not really it's more like it's more like being a manager than it is like being a player, you okay. know, because at the end of the day, that's really what I'm doing. I've got 110 employees. I'm sort of like moving the pieces around kind of like a GM, um, you know, in baseball, the GM of the store is the GM, of the, the campus, whatever, same kind of thing. Um, I've traded like salespeople to the other <laughs> side. so we're like, I'm like, hey, I know he's not working on a BMW. Maybe we'll try him at Audi, see how it works. Um, promoting people. Hey, you've been really good as a porter. Let's move you up to sales assistant. Let's move you up to sales You know, just having the vision for how to craft the whole, the whole cake with all the layers. That's kind of what I do and there's not really a lot of adrenaline with that what is exciting is uh, when you have like, I would say crazy days where like a couple days ago I think it was might have been Sunday Saturday or Sunday we sold 11 cars in one day which is pretty exciting for the campus. Um, we're a small store. I was not able to afford to buy some monster store with these type of brands like the Penske store in Scottsdale that a lot of us have been to because spring training, something like that would cost approximately like, let's call an Albert Pujols contract or a Mike Trout contract. This is more like a pre-arbitration you know that's kind of where i was at you know the five-figure club with buying the store like this um that being said the roi is good so that's exciting and but right now the hardest thing for me is i'm trying to move like i'm just doing regular business stuff right so i'm trying to buy a piece of land to build a new building on and i'm like negotiating with all these farmers to like buy dirt and it's just crazy like dealing with their like, well, son, I mean, this is how we do it around here. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, I'm just trying to. You got to sign up. You want to sell it? I'll just like, what's well, what's the number? They're like, well, today it's. And it's like, okay, whatever. So it's a little bit weird. It's probably like dealing with Scott Boris, where you know you got to like negotiate with a terrorist a little bit. And like, I'm not necessarily sure if I should be even engaging here, or if it's like because you really ha- you have what I want, you have the player I want, but I'm I'm like trying to figure out how to. Like, am I, is this financial suicide? I don't know. Um, so I would say like, it's very much the business side of baseball from a GM side is very much what I'm doing right now. And I would say that it'd be easy for me to transition to something like a front office job where I'm like, wait, only 40 people on the roster? Like
2: no big deal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and angry Germans. I deal with angry Germans. Three different types of angry Germans. Wow. So that's, that's not always the most pleasant thing as a surfer dude from California, but
1: hey, it's worth it, you know, because... <laughs> The little cars are so cool. (laughs) I love that. Wait, so then lay out the rest of the post playing career lifestyle right now, because at least when I'm when I'm looking on paper and and we did a where they now segment on CJ Wilson, there was sports car team, there's crypto, there's some maybe podcast hosting. So Mm -hmm. is all of that still happening? And is there more too besides what you're doing in family? Yeah, so uh,
0: I have three kids now. i got a fourth one on the way, which oh, is get exciting. Out of here. Nice. Um, not a lot of TV at the house, um, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's why he hasn't a gotten television to see a show. Show. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, Tell Liz yeah, I yeah, said yeah.
2: to buy a TV, for goodness sake.
0: Yeah, it's like in between like, you know, the season ends or something in April and then it's like, you know, summertime and we get, you know, it's nice. But uh, no, I would say like the the cool thing for me is I have three kids now and uh, my youngest one's one and a half. Uh, all three kids are going to school now or like, you know, the youngest one's going to like a sort of kinder care sort of thing. Um, and my older two ones are doing martial arts, which is super exciting. Um That's like a big focus. That's the weekend, you know, is like getting them to classes and, you know, leveling them up. So one of them is going for like orange belt and they just, they're promoting her to like jujitsu class with geese, where she's gonna like learn how to choke people and stuff. It's pretty neat. My wife's Brazilian. So it's sort of like a cool thing, you know? Um, And then, uh, yeah, I've been racing on and off. I mean, not as much right now because the kids, it's hard to travel for five straight days to go to fly to New York or Florida or whatever for a race. But in like 2017, my first year not playing, I was traveling the world racing. I was in Belgium or London or wherever, all over the place. New York, and I, I did about um, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 12 races that year. Uh, then 2018, I did the Pikes Peak Hill Climb, which was like a really probably the sketchiest thing I've ever done in a car, um, which is saying a lot um, because you're racing up a mountain with no guardrails.
2: My uh, or, mom lives on the office on the west side of Pikes Peak. I grew up in so the shadow. Oh, yeah. you get it. I get it. Yeah, oh, I it's get like it. it's insane.
0: You're you're like driving, and the sun's in your eyes because mm-hmm. you're literally on the top of a mountain, and it's nine in the morning. It's pretty crazy. So I did that in 2018, and it was really funny. Um, I'm not going to make you guys bleep me, but I'll bleep myself. So I got to the top of the thing, and it's on race day, I finished the race or whatever. And they had the helicopter like following us, you know, as we would go up, and they send somebody every five minutes. So my teammate uh, left. OK, because he outqualified me by like a half second or two seconds or whatever. I forget what it was. But then the he goes and then another guy goes and they flag that guy and have him turn back around because my teammate crashed. And I was like, if he died, I'm not going like no way, because there's like a good chance you die if you go off the hill in the wrong spot. So um, what happened was he actually like hit a rock, flew in the air and landed like this on like two rocks oh. and like totaled the car. Right. And we were in the same type of car. And um, so anyway, so so I go and then it starts raining about halfway up the mountain. And I'm like, okay, like it's raining. I'm just gonna chill. I'm not gonna like go in full attack mode or whatever. Cause you just know like it's too late. You're not gonna win the class or something like that in the rain, it's not safe. Um, so I'm like coming around one of the last corners and I look up there and I see him like on, the, like his cars up there, like a goat on the rocks, you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, I see you sent it and it was raining and you crash and I'm not going to crash. And I made it to the top. And, uh, so I let him know. I was like, Hey, I beat you just FYI. And, um, he was racing, he was racing for my race team at the time, uh, in the, in the GT, uh, GTD class, which was like the pro series or whatever in IMSA and um i get to the top and there's you get you take like a little personal belongings cooler right which is like a jacket and a beanie and like your phone and whatever in a wallet or whatever because you get to the top of the Pike I speak there's a restaurant and they have these donuts and it's like really this thing so anyways i get to the top and the first thing i see is from my wife and she's like i hope you had fun because you're never doing this again and i was <laughs> like and my whole plan was i'm going to take it easy this year and then i'm going to get better and come back next year when i know the track a little bit or whatever because it's like 14 miles of 160 turns ish something like that might be like 13.8 and 156 but it's a lot to take in, in in a week and you don't ever run the whole thing you're up at four in the morning and you run like a section and then you stop and that's it so um that was really challenging and really fun but that got me and I did pretty well so I was like okay I can do this and maybe do some other hill climb stuff but um that was kind of the last like pro race thing that i did i did a couple amateur races uh 2020 summer 2021 summer maybe in colorado i did some stuff up there but um you know not really racing as much as i want to uh but mostly just because i'm focused on work and the family um but yeah i podcast i have two podcasts one's a car podcast called throttle the throttle dogs and another ones uh called bitcoin bottom line and um i uh I'm a lobbyist now, so I go to D.C. and talk, educate senators and congressmen about fiscal policy and and Bitcoin, um, which is like a super trippy thing to go, basically talk to the leaders of the free world and explain stuff to them that they most of the time have no no idea about. Um, and then um, yeah, let's see what else is there in the mix. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's like mostly that. And so I go speaking tours. I do uh, do talks at like conferences and things like that. I just did one in Austin. And I'm doing another one in November in L.A. And uh, yeah, so, you know, just trying to, like, blend all of my hobbies and my work into, like, one little thing. Um, I really got into, like, during the pandemic, I really got into cooking, like, hardcore. And so, um, as with most baseball players, when they go into a hobby, they kind of go a little too far. So, I got, like, a second Traeger and was, like, doing briskets and, like, this whole thing um so now my wife sort of rents me out for a uh, weekend
2: barbecues, <laughs> and she
0: invites like people over and then i cook for everybody so it's like this thing um and i'm kind of like the brisket master now in fresno um because so like i i don't know i have like a specific method with cooking briskets and you know that's really cool but i can cook for i can do like three or four briskets i just got a cow um so, you know, you can call these farmers and you can get like a grass fed, like half of a cow or whatever. Not like a, this is like the beef from the cow. I'm not, I don't have a pet cow. So let me just <laughs> clarify. So that, that, that's actually getting delivered today. So I have like a quarter cow coming. Um, <laughs> I'm super excited to experiment with and try some new recipes and things like that. So that's pretty much, yeah, that's, that's. Wow.
1: But Alana, of- that's it.
2: Yeah, that's all you got going on. Plus you're married to a Brazilian supermodel and you have 3 kids and one on the way. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> what a being life. Being a dad's C. the Boston. best. What a life.
0: Being being the dad is is the best. The last person to hit a home run off me was my older daughter, which is cool. Uh, <laughs> uh she I taught her how to hit and um now she's uh she wants to play tennis, but she really likes baseball. So I'm trying to get the kids down to Orange County before it gets too hectic and uh to watch the Angels play or maybe the Dodgers or something like that. Um uh, I know people, so I can buy a ticket or whatever. Right. But the funniest thing is I can just like scoot in as like a regular sized person and like not get recognized. And I love that um, because I could sit anywhere in the stadium and just be like a six foot one brown haired guy and just sit there um, and not get bothered. And it's, it's pretty exciting. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's, that's it. I, it's funny because a lot of people hit me up and they're like, Hey, the angels might be for sale. I'm like, like I don't have that. No, I can't be involved in that. You I don't want to, be part you don't, of. A you group. have
2: one point seven billion to drop on the Angels.
0: No, I got this really fancy pen. I can <laughs> tell you this pen. Well, Magic That's Johnson cool. didn't buy the Dodgers, but he's part of the ownership. Group. Yeah, I
2: mean he's two percent part of it, and he's the face. You could be the face of the new ownership group. So. Yeah.
0: Well, let's put it out there. If anybody <laughs> wants to get the money together, I'm totally willing to be involved in the and the the remarketing and. uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the the rise to glory for the All Angels. right. So you, you uh, the, played there.
2: You played for the Rangers and the Angels primarily. <laughs> so what would how would you remarket this team?
0: The first thing I would do is I would focus a lot more on the acquisition of of amateur players. I think the Angels for years have had a really hard time um, developing their own players and providing value for the sort of non super prospects. Um, they have a really they've had a really backwards. Um, process with uh, health and fitness. At least they did when I was there. It's getting a little bit better apparently. But for instance, like in 2020, I think they fired like the entire like physical therapy staff and then just had like a trainer, which is basically a guy that wraps ice bags on you. And then so when Trout hurts his his calf and then he's out for the season, it's because they literally fired the physical therapist and they're like, oh, we're going to cut budget. We don't need you. And it's like, uh, you have a couple hundred million dollar players you might want to like invest in. So I wouldn't really invest in, in the health and fitness and diet of the players, which is what the Dodgers did. Mm-hmm. I would also focus on the academy system and figure out how to acquire Latin players because that's something that the angels have been really not positive with. They haven't really developed their own Latin players for for a long time. Um, and when you look at Atlanta and when you look at um, St. Louis and when you look at the Dodgers, they have a much better pro, uh, production pipeline there. I think you have to look at the amateur scouting from a college standpoint and start valuing certain types of players better. Um, I would also focus on um, renovating the stadium to a point where you got a little more noise out of the crowd, a little more action. So, It sounds really weird but when you go to some soccer stadiums even if they're really small they have these sort of like roofs on them and so the sound and the excitement sort of stays trapped in there which is what worked really well in texas what's worked uh you know the old stadium which works in the old yankee stadium you need like a little bit of a cover on the seats to bounce things back in so i would i would focus on literally like covering the right field and left field pavilions for that uh in a way that made sense to uh, like aesthetically or whatever, because if, the, if it was more exciting, then I think more people would go to the games and that would drive more of the fanaticism that you see from, from some of these bigger market teams that tend to do really well. Um, I would uh, try to create a little bit more stability with the, uh, the coaching staff. I think it's like, you got to come, come in there and have somebody that you're just going to stick with for five years. It's really hard to keep turning over managers like they have in the last couple of years since Social left um and and expect winning to happen uh, and i would just overspend for a couple key players to prove that you're really competitive on the free agent market because um you know and obviously like let's just throw this out there like pools and i didn't work out as well as they wanted us to but i would say that if you look at who they missed out on along the way um that they made offers to but the offers weren't competitive like i know for a fact that they offered sabathia a contract when he was a free agent the first time and the yankees offered him like 40 or 50 million dollars more so it's like really hard to sign with a team like the angels when you're thinking in your head they should just pay all the money to get sabathia at the time and he goes to the yankees because they give him 50 million dollars more and Same not thing to
2: at- mention the taxes in california versus the taxes in new york
0: Right. And so the thing is that the agents are really the ones driving the price. I'm sorry. As we saw with the Freddie Freeman thing, the agents are really the ones driving the location of the top tier players. If the money is equal, right. right. If the money's equal, the players are sort of because the agent is really the one that cares more because they're getting their cut. Right. And this is like an indictment of agents and this is a whole other story. But um, when you have a player like Garrett Cole, who's from Southern California, There's no reason not to make that guy the cornerstone of your franchise. Uh, That's what they needed. And they were like, Hey, we're going to make an offer that's going to blow your mind. And it's this. And then he's like, the Yankees give him this. And it's like, yeah, well the Yankees are an awesome franchise. I'm going to go pitch for the Yankees. Right. That's kind of how that goes. Um, So I think that they've missed opportunities over the years to land those types of guys which they can totally afford. It's just more a matter of the willingness to outspend the Yankees or the Dodgers or whatever else, because the Dodgers are outspending other people and the Yankees are outspending other people and you just have to prove that you can do it. And then, you know, that's sort of the, that's sort of the thing, but I think the angels could be one of the best places to play for. I mean, it's the best place to live out of any city any city in the major leagues, it's the best place to live. Like you can't tell me that there's another city that you can live in, like living in Corona Del Mar and playing for the angels. Like that's literally the best vibe uh, of any place. There's no, you can't tell me that playing for the Mariners is better than that. Or the twins is better than that or anything like that. And and the twins might have a better fan base on some levels, or you might be like a really big fly fisherman and really want to live in Colorado. I don't know, but I'm just saying, if you're just all things being equal, like, Anaheim gets at least two points on the scale for just being awesome to live there, uh, weather-wise and all that stuff. It's the easiest place on your body to play, you know, in, in terms of the weather and stuff. But, um, you know, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge to, um, because there's a fixed amount of really excellent players. And this is why guys like Kershaw or Verlander or whatever, uh, are really so much more valuable than players like I was, because even though I was a, solid number two or three starter for a couple years and I could throw 200 innings, Verlander and guys like that can literally just take the ball and throw hundred and strike everybody out with a one point something ERA. And then suddenly like your chances of winning are much higher because they're pitching against guys like me. So if they're a step ahead, you know, like I have to count on my guys hitting a bunch of homers off them or something to win. Like they're statistically speaking, the the best players are worth more than the second tier players. It's just like, it's a big gap, you know, because it's a, you either winning or losing. There's no, it's not like soccer with a tie. So uh, I, I would say that and like outside looking in organizations like the Cardinals uh, tend to rally their players and get more out of their players as a whole. If you look at them individually, you know what I mean? They seem to keep developing these players and you're like, where are the Cardinals and the Braves getting all these guys from? They're drafting from the same pool of people. Why are they getting the guys that are better? And it's because they, they invest in those players and a ball double a and then those something clicks, you know, and you get productive, you get really productive careers out of guys like um, Jock Peterson or somebody like that, that might not have been a Mike Trout level prospect, but hits a Homer off Max Scherzer to basically, you know, go to the world series or whatever. So when things like that happen, you see that and you're thinking, okay, somebody saw something in this guy that was more special than what they saw at another team, which is why they drafted him and then actually made him even better and you see, I, I see the Dodgers doing that a lot. They seem to take these guys, Max Muncy. Um, Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor. Yeah. I mean, Chris Taylor was on, this is like his third or fourth team, right? So at uh, Justin Turner, like a lot of these guys, they saw something and they clicked it and they're like, wait, click, click, click. And it's because you can see that they're giving everybody a lot of effort, you know, even yeah, but- I, when, when Gabe Kapler was working for them, I uh, him and I were talking about this one time because he's a big fitness guy and we were just talking about diet and fitness and whatever. And I was asking him a lot of questions. I'm like, Hey, what are you doing for like food for the minor league players? Cause that's like the biggest black hole in the world right right now. And um, he was like, Oh, we're like getting grocery delivery and stuff like that stadium. And I'm like, they get it. They actually get it. They're willing to spend 200 grand across the minor league system over the course of the year. And like, what do they get out of that? They get Chris Taylor's and, and Jock Peterson's and guys that that weren't drafted necessarily in the first round, you know, like, like a
1: trout or a, a guy like that, you know? That blows my mind, though, because the last part actually kind of answers what I was going to ask you is 200 grand, not 200 million dollars, 200 grand in the grand scheme of your budget as a ball club. That is a cough. It's nothing. So Dude, exactly. I just don't understand. So why, why is it still like that? And And even if you want to be that team that goes okay let's just mimic exactly what a club like the dodgers does in terms of taking care of their players from top to bottom and we'll buy one less you know we'll spend a million bucks less on our free agent acquisitions you know like it's not to me the math just never adds up every single team can do that they're they're the advantage That's
2: why they're trying to unionize the minor leagues
1: so this is really
0: important as a concept. And I see this a lot because of what I do now, right? And I saw it at the time because I was in the union and I was like on the negotiating committee and stuff like that. You literally get, you get run over by a steamroller trying to pick up nickels, right? That's what happens. And these these owners and front office people that are like business people, the way you run a really good business is to pick up all the crumbs, okay? That's how you make the most money because a lot of times those crumbs are net profit. Right. So what I mean by that is, let's say uh, we do a lot of service business, right? So uh, for the whole campus on the course of a year, it's like, I don't know, the, just the gross revenue is five, it, no, it's, it's, it's eight figures, right? So it's eight figures of, of like vendor swiping fees. And the way this works, and this is the, like, I could work Bitcoin into this, but I, I'll try to stay apolitical. Um, basically, every time you swipe a Visa or an Amex or something like that, you're spending between two and 4% somewhere. Somebody is, and that that merchant service fee, Amex is taking that money. So if Alana comes in and buys a T-shirt for hundred dollars because it's got a Porsche logo on it, so it's one hundred bucks. Sorry, um, then uh, you know I'm losing four dollars of that to Amex. Okay, I'm paying Amex, so I only get ninety six bucks. I never get the hundred bucks. I only get ninety six bucks, right? So if my, so if I own that T-shirt for sixty bucks, then I've just lost a, a pretty big percentage of my of my net income right? Uh, something like a t-shirt has no like carrying costs. I'm not paying rent on a t-shirt, right? It's just there. So any, and this is what really hurts small businesses. But when you're really good at this and you figure it out, you're like, oh, we need to come with relationships and do this stuff. So you start negotiating and whatever. And you're like, hey, listen, we're going to do 3.2% or we're just not going to accept American Express. They're like, well, we don't want to lose out on $20 million of revenue or whatever. And then, so, you know, you can negotiate, right? Uh, This is the advantage that Walmart has. A couple of years ago, they literally banned Amexes, So you couldn't use Amexes at Walmart. And Amex was like, no, 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 come like, we want you back. So they're like, okay, we're going to pay you 1% of all transactions. But because the gross volume is so high, right? It's a monster amount of money at the end of the year. So anyways, so that's how you run a regular business. Now, a baseball team is not like that at all. It's the opposite. You need to spend crumbs to feed the whole the whole pile of people, right? So the opposite is you spend an extra 20 bucks per player per day, the miners, like, holy crap, what does that get you, right? So it's literally three grand a day. Okay. uh, Because you have a couple hundred players, 150 players, or whatever it is, you spend three grand extra a day across those guys. So maybe it's more like, you know, I guess what's a minor league season. It's like 150 days. So yeah. So it's like 450 grand over the course of a year that you spend extra on the minor league players and you might get four more players to the big leagues or, but, and here's the thing, right? There's only so many slots on the roster. So those four guys might be trade bait for one Corey Seager or one Chris Bryant or one Bryce Harper or whatever one Soto. Right. So that's what that's, that's the mentality that you have to have. It's more like being a watch collector where you say, Oh, I have this thing that's eight or 10 grand. This other thing, that's eight or 10 grand. I really want the $30,000 thing. So I have, and then I'm going to consolidate and get the one Kershaw, get the one Soto, the one Soto, right? So that's what you're doing as a player or as a, as a GM. That's what you should be doing because you only have 26 spots in the roster to move around, right? And 40 overall to kind of like fluff and fill in. This is the difference between winning teams and average teams is that the winning teams are willing to invest the 450 at the bottom At the grassroots level because that lifts everybody up to get like a full thing and it's the same thing with having a better weight room. It's the same thing with having a better physical therapist or whatever you pay that one physical therapist guy 15 grand a month he's figuring out every player he's getting all of their Achilles tendons and hamstrings Mm -hmm. and rotator cuffs and biceps tendons all (laughs) <laughs> they got plans for all of them, right? And that's the thing. So you cut that 150 out and you're like, hey boss, I saved 150 bucks. It's yep. like, hey, hey, dummy. I was going to say something worse, but hey, dummy, now we're going to have a hundred extra disabled this day. What's yep. that going to cost us, right? And how many losses are we going to have because Trout's on the DL, Rendon's on the DL, blah, 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 right? And that literally is the deal and they don't get it. And it's like, as a fan, I just lose my mind. You know what I mean? And as the player, I would... It wasn't bad when I was there, but that's because, but they was like, they tried they played games with the medical staff and they switched away from it's now Cedar sinai but it was Curlin and Job. So that was Mm -hmm. like, this is the best in the world. They're like, Oh, we don't need those guys. We'll get these guys down the street that have literally never operated on a big leaguer. And then like the first surgeon that the first time a guy, their surgeon that they hired when I was there was it was Garrett Richards, knee, when he blew his knee out, that was the first professional athlete that they ever worked on was a dude that throws a hundred, that blew his knee out and i'm like i wouldn't even go to that guy you know what i mean i'm going to like the dude in knee guy i'm going to the knee guy in colorado or whatever like you go to the best guys because once again the best guy is kershaw and the second best guy is cj and kershaw is always going to be better than cj because he just has hall of fame stuff and i didn't so that's what it comes down to and as a that's how you win championships literally that's what it is and when the rangers started thinking like that, then it's like the organization cranked into a playoff caliber team and it was completely different before that they were just like, Oh, Texas, it's awesome. And I'm like, it is could maybe, but like, we need to do this and that. And, and they committed to it and they had a really good strength coach and they had awesome medical staff. And that's really what kept players on the field. And then they hit 24 home runs instead of 16 home runs because they don't miss time you know, baseball is hard on your body. I mean, this is as much as my elbow bends, right? That's it. This is my dramatic sort of, thing. A, because baseball is hard on your body. So, you know, you have to look as a player out for yourself, but not all the players are out there reading, you know, about how to keep their cartilage intact and how to eat better and stuff. So the team needs to take that responsibility, which I hope is is a precipitation of this unionizing thing that they get to that point where the conditions are better because what will happen is the best players will be the best players okay. and the quality of baseball overall will be better and the less people will get hurt and sue or carry insurance or whatever it is as a result of injury and that's that that's that helps everybody that's just better for everybody
1: that's my spiel that sounds simple to me alana
2: i think uh i'd sign up for that plan um okay. i like your ideas about the angels i do and I know exactly what you're talking about with the medical staff. And and I believe who it is that you're talking about is now with the Dodgers. So, yes, yeah. this is yeah.
0: yeah. yes, correct. This is, this yeah. is very correct. Yeah.
2: So uh, he, uh, I uh, put in a good word for him among many other people because he's fantastic. So, yeah, yes. it's
0: a good, it's a good thing. Right. And and I think, you know, I, I I believe in the angels so much as a, as a, like a hope thing. Right. I I hope for the Angels to be competitive. Number one because I am from there. Number two because I played there. Um, And you know, like I'm not counting on a spring training invite or anything like that. So I'm free to talk and say whatever I want. I, you know, people are going to say whatever they want about my opinions. But I just hope to see the Angels as one of the top five or six organizations in baseball. Because if they're, I think
2: everybody wants to see Trout and Shohei play for something. I mean, right, but two, if Garrett the Cole was on that in team, the game. oh, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. You know, they're two of the best in the game, and and you want so badly a, for them to be healthy. Obviously, with Trout, uh, you know, in his back and his calf and everything, but you want you want those players on. The, nobody outside of baseball knows who Mike Trout is, you know, it, and it's unfortunate. It's it. Everybody knows who Michael Jordan is. Everybody knows, you know. It, it's just a different. We don't market our players enough, and I thought perhaps this is the year that the Angels were going to go somewhere, and yeah. You know, Rendon can't play. Um, they didn't have the pitching again, even though they went after pitching. Um...
0: But you got to get you got to get the you got to get a couple guys that are studs. And then when the Angels were good, when they were winning the division, yep. you know, in the late 2000s and aughts into the 2010s or whatever, um, they had Weaver. They had, they had a great
2: Durbin bullpen
0: too, and Lackey, and they had like four or five guys that were putting up 200 innings. Yeah, and they had a really good bullpen. But I think, you know, when you think about that, those guys were all homegrown. And that's what that's the difference. Um, You have to have a pipeline of really good homegrown pitching if you're going to succeed long term. And even even the Yankees and the Red Sox and stuff like that, when they were at their best, they had guys coming through their system that were specific, you know, and it's like, I don't know. I, I think pitching is such a big deal. And this whole like relieverization of the game has been so negative for me. Uh, watching that because I think the the if if you're a pitcher you should want to be Max Scherzer you should want to be Justin you should want to be Clayton you should want to be Garrett you should want to be one of those guys uh, Burns from Milwaukee uh, you should want to be one of those guys because those guys are like a big deal and it's really important for the team and the best thing that I ever heard anybody in baseball ever say was from Nolan Ryan when he was with the Rangers I and I was transitioning from reliever to starter. He's like, well, CJ, you know, the thing is, a good starter, man, they go deep in the games, they're saving your team a lot. Even if you don't win that day, they're making sure a reliever doesn't come in and blow it. If you have to pitch four relievers, what are the odds that they have an off night? And if one guy gives up a home run, like you lose the game. So you don't want to have four relievers thrown every night, that's just not prudent. And I was like, bingo. Like this guy gets it because yeah. he's been in the game. He pit he's, what's the thing like he's pitched against 20% of all major leaguers ever. <laughs> like he knows, you know, he knows the deal. And, uh, and it's like, that's the truth is the valuable starting pitchers. They're they're Even if their ERA is a little bit higher, you know, like if you have a starter, that's got a 3.4, he's so much more valuable than a, than a, uh, uh, and he goes 200 plus innings. He's more valuable than the guy that throws 160 innings with a two point something, because right because the he's, he's saving the rest of the team, you know, every time he's out there and that extra and, and sosha was a catcher. So he understood pitching pretty well. And he was like, Hey, listen, you need to think as a pitcher, how to get one more out every game. That's how you get, you know, you uh-huh. go from 180 innings to 200, you know, you get one more out and it's like 30 extra, 40 extra outs over the course of the season. He's like, that's, you know, that's your 10 or 15 innings. You need to, that mentally you're trying to get to. Um, and that's the difference with the with the Randy Johnsons and the Kurt Schillings and the Pedros of that era, you know, and the Kershaws and the Berlanders and the John Lesters and guys like that of my era um, was – and Scherzer, a great example, right? That, that guy, even though – I don't know. I'm just such a fan of his. I just love the way he competes, and he's one of my favorite yeah. people to watch because he's, like, so yeah. intense, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, but a, a, a guy that's durable, even if he has – an off night, if he can go five or six innings on a bad night, that was like Cliff Lee could always do that back in the day or holiday. Um, those guys are super valuable and they, they allow the relievers to be sharper and a little bit better. And it's just, it's very hard to coach starting pitching, um, which is why, which is why you need to buy my book. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so eventually I think that I do want to, I do want to write a book about that um, about, cause I, I kind of built myself into a starter. I wasn't one of these super prospect guys. Um, And it was a lot of intention. It wasn't really some, you know, I didn't have the hundred mile an hour fastball, like a hunter green or somebody like that. I wasn't able just to blow people away. Um, I had to learn how to pitch and that's still like, everyone's fascinated with velocity and high spin rates and whatever, but there's a lot, and there's a lot of geometry to, to the game that people don't explore until they get on TV or whatever, but there's a lot of other psychological and, and, kinesthetic and physical things you can learn along the way to make you give you better feel to to sharpen your breaking ball um so you don't just become a a batting practice 100 mile an hour guy that throws super straight because it's like that's what the scouts want and then dudes hit it 450 feet off you you know so pitching is really an art and um and and there's there's always going to be some like nerd dude in the front office that's going to tell people oh we need this type of pitcher but it's not that at all you need a pitcher like you don't just need a type of pitcher, you know. And if everybody throws exactly the same and throws 96, then the hitters are just gonna time it and just waffle it into the seats, you know. So that's that's what I think. I have a, I'm very opinionated. about baseball no, stuff. I
1: agree. And so that, that's fire it up right now. How no, that's basically how how I want to conclude is and Alan, I think he needs to be involved in the game at some I point. I agree. Mean, I I know you've a, got I think you've there's got... a
2: front office position or a dugout spot for you.
1: No, I think I. I no, go you don't deeper. want to do that. Go de- no, I think I think back to the what sparked this. Find out who the relevant ownership group bidders are mm-hmm. and get involved, even if it's small or you know, even if it's more right, like advisory ish. I, th- you're in the area, you know how to run a business, you know how to throw a baseball. <laughs> so and you know how to talk about it which we've just further uh learned right here cuz I haven't heard from you in a bit but I know you've got a lot going on like you said it's like whoa you blink and it's been 6 years since you've been in the game but you're clearly yeah. still paying attention and you clearly have thoughtful opinions that need to be implemented by not all teams some of them are doing it right but but the new group that comes in and it's just good for the game if some of mm. these thoughts are actually executed with the next group that comes on board.
2: I mean, it's clear you still have the passion for it.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: I I still really care about the game. And I mean, you know, I'm not ungrateful. The game did so much for me and gave me such an opportunity to try my best to be something that I dreamt about as
1: a kid. This was awesome. Appreciate it. And yeah, hope to be able to talk baseball again soon, man. I'll be watching either way. (laughs) Exactly. He is watching nice good to see stuff. you
2: cj congrats on the baby and uh, best of luck continued success on everything it's been an absolute pleasure quite the education thank you
0: thanks a lot i appreciate it i uh look forward to uh seeing more content from you guys and yeah. uh you know keep me posted anytime you want a, a hot sports opinion I'm, I'm yeah good.
2: and i'll take the uh the bmw t-shirt because that's what i have so go ahead and send that my <laughs> okay. way no, not the Porsche. i can okay. help you let
0: me know when your lease is oh, up I, We're gonna go i will well, <laughs>
2: yeah i will don't worry
1: You know, I think CJ Wilson should be involved in the game of baseball. I don't think he definitely doesn't need to be. Also, you can look up. We didn't even get into that, but he made plenty of money in his career. And then now he's in the fancy flashy car biz, but he's got some thoughts and I think he would do well. And it sounds like there's maybe an itch at some point, maybe when the kids get older to get involved again.
2: Yeah. I can't believe that they're having their fourth kid. That's a a busy family. I mean, he's got a lot going on too. I mean, of course the man is Uber rich, he has a gorgeous supermodel wife, four well three gorgeous kids. I'm sure the fourth will be just as wonderful, and has a very successful business and a lot of ideas. And he is good for the game. He's smart. He's passionate, which I love. And the fact is, he's still a fan of the game, and I think that's important.
1: Yeah, he's he's young, he's fresh. So that was fun. Really enjoyed it. And props to C.J. Wilson for doing that. So let's go right to this week in baseball. Have some thoughts here. September 23rd, 2011. We're going. Hollywood action, the movie Moneyball receives its theatrical release across the U.S., Brad Pitt, and Jonah Hill's in there, and it's based on the book done by Michael Lewis, same name, and it's on the Moneyball Oakland A's in 2002, and most people are just listening to this, so I, I put some air quotes up there, <laughs> but, and I'm definitely, I'm not like a, I, I, w- I would say I'm more of your mid-range, I'm not, I'm definitely not old school, I'm definitely, I'm progressive, but I'm not just like all number obsessed, but anyway, this team, Small Payroll, what a run 2002 the whole deal so and so I just first want to say Alana I was surprised that if if you came up to me and you were like hey I'm doing a movie on the 2002 Oakland A's I'd be like oh cool fun personality that's
2: the first thing I would think it was great pitching
1: yes well none of that was highlighted and they just (laughs) highlighted like the the nerdy behind the scenes component and I think that some of the star actors probably helped the cause. But if you had sent me that script, I'm not investing in it. <laughs>
2: you know what? I think that it was just an opportunity to see Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. Let's be honest. I mean, why mm-hmm. not? What a great pairing as far as uh, that is concerned. But I'm pretty sure the Oakland A's haven't increased their um, salary or their payroll by a dollar since that movie <laughs> um, came out. And it might you be know less
1: what? this year than then. I mean, yeah. maybe
2: less. Like, I don't know that we could name five people on the Oakland A's right now, which is unfortunate because I think the city of Oakland deserves um, a good product on the field they deserve a new stadium and every other team has moved out of their area so I would love to see Oakland um, be competitive I think their biggest loss honestly was Bob Melvin to the Padres
1: yeah huge loss right he was the rock in the organization for a while got the best out of you know teams that probably shouldn't have been as good as they were and then just tying it back to Moneyball is the fact that they actually didn't win the World Series that year so you're doing it's not like you're doing a movie on the 03 Red Sox or something like that. This, was, this team never actually won. And, and I just I thought the whole since. concept was interesting. I haven't since. So I think that it brought to light what was going on in baseball behind the scenes and what was changing. And that's become a huge factor in the game. But it's just funny to me that, The team you're highlighting never won. They haven't won a World Series since, you know, that book came out. Forget the movie, the book even. And it's just, it's not like the surefire way to create a champ. You need, you do need money. You do need pitching. You need everything.
2: I mean, it is certainly an interesting thing that they were on the forefront of analytics and sabermetrics and it's still happening and major, major decisions are being made by numbers versus feel. I'm definitely more of a field person than a a numbers person. I think you've got to go with the hot hand and and these guys are players before they're robots. And just because you spit out a number on a spreadsheet doesn't mean that it's going to be successful. I think there is a place in our game for that. I think as a component though, not as a rule.
1: And I think C.J. Wilson, as we close the book on, on the lounge for this week, would appreciate that we said, yes, the picture should have been highlighted in that movie. hundred so percent. Run it back. <laughs> See you, everyone. See you next
2: week. Take care.
1: The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at Legends Lounge at MLBPAA.com. Check out our memorabilia at MLAMAuthentics.com. Later, Legends. Baseball Legends Lounge is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.